Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Once again, I'm recording this show at one o'clock, so it will be aired at 2 p.m. Once again, I'm sorry about it, but so far the system has not been working the way we wish it would, and I cannot receive your telephone calls, yet I am receiving your email, so I will be happy for any feedback um, regarding this show or any other show, and I welcome also any questions you may have about health and well-being. My uh, email address is drpeterresnik at gmail.com, D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. Uh, the person who gets credit for the subject of today's show is my nephew, Vladimir Angert. A week ago, he was speaking on a different platform on the subject of substance abuse, and I really wanted to hear what he had to say, but unfortunately his um, presentation co um, clashed, conflicted with my schedule, so I could not hear it. And then I had the thought, why don't I invite him to this show and we have uh, a talk about substance abuse because I have a lot of experience with it. I worked with uh, people who were alcoholics back in the Soviet Union 45 years ago. Vladimir has a lot of experience with substance abuse, as you already know, uh, because Vladimir has been our guest already eight times. You know he has a very Oops, sorry, dog, um, our neighbor. Um, we come from a very different um, approach, very with very different techniques. Yet our vision, most of the time, on on different issues that come our way, is a very similar or complementary to one another. So I would love to hear what he has to say, and I hope that. All of you will benefit from today's show. Uh, I know that an average listener to this show is a, a middle-aged person, and I'm not talking about necessarily heavy drugs, but I know when you are 40, 45, 50, you already accumulated a number of issues, uh, including sometimes, unfortunately, dependence on different substances, not necessarily drugs, but perhaps food or alcohol. So we'll talk about it today. I have addressed the issue, and some of you know, on my website, I have a whole program, eight-hour program called uh, Overcoming Addictive Thoughts, Feelings, Behaviors, and Substances. But today we'll focus only on substances, and I would like to welcome Vladimir Angert, who is who happened to be my nephew, but also is an internationally known uh, psychic, medium, healer, and a teacher. Vladimir, welcome. Thank you for having me today. Okay, so you, <laughs> Vlad, you know well what I do. And uh, our listeners, probably many of them already 
heard a number of interviews that I had with you, but we did never specifically focused on substance abuse. And even though we are going to talk about specifically substance abuse, but you and I and probably many of our quite educated uh, listeners know that substance abuse doesn't start just as a desire for some substance. It always starts with the thought. I mean, there is a, this great Chinese proverb, watch your thoughts, they become your feelings. Watch your feelings, they become your behavior. Watch your behavior, it becomes your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. So, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people, in my experience, become, first of all, um, subject to their addictive thoughts. And there are, there are from, I will talk a little later, I want you to, uh, to start actually this talk, but I will talk about uh, two, what I believe two major sources of any addiction, particularly in substance abuse. I did not personally, I did not have to deal myself with substance abuse, though, I don't know, but if you know this, at one point, maybe 10 years ago, I felt like I was addicted to coffee. Very strong, I don't know if you know this Israeli coffee that you mix with sugar, right? Of course I know. Find it, it's very strong, and I felt I had to have a cup every day, and I didn't like it, and it took me a while and I, I think you will uh, will share with your experiences, but I, I pretty much acted as an addict, meaning I would I would decide I'm not going to do it. It's not good for me, and definitely it wasn't. And then I would have oh, oh just a little bit, and then no no I will finish in a, in a month. This is it, and and it continued. I probably dealt with it like for a year till I. Now I have not had it for 10 so, years. If I may, just on that incident itself, it you, sounds like, uh, I don't have to remember, I know I, we used to do it in the so, former Soviet Union. He right. taught me the process, and it's not really Israeli coffee, it's what we did in the former Soviet Union in the 70s, so I'm sure that Russian immigrants brought it to Israel. But I think uh, what you just touched on <laughs> with your own experiences. I think you were addicted to the process. Watching the coffee and the sugar combined with just right the right measure of water and just how long you need to do and twist it and turn the spoon in order to smash it together and make it become something. That when it becomes something, it's almost an achievement. And so in, in many instances, I found in my experience that Addicts love the process because they chase the feeling. Ultimately, it's a coping mechanism like everything else is, right? But really, they love the process, whether it's going to get the bottle or their substance or whatever neighborhood they have to go to to get it, the smells, the, the, the entire process does something to you. It's almost like... The coffee is short-lived. It tastes great, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's so many different levels of 
abusing a substance or abusing uh, um, you said you didn't you didn't want to go into different um, you know people are addicted to food people are behaviors they're addicted to um, all kinds of different things but in, in, in terms of substance abuse I, I see that many folks are addicted to the process and in your situation I think you love the process sitting there and turning and yeah. getting it to where it is. That is true, because <laughs> I, I gave up coffee, but now, you know, I have my new ritual. I have mm. hot chocolate every morning, and I'm looking forward to it. I love the substance, but I also love the process. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wonder, you, you know, I want to mention the two main reasons for um, substance abuse and and that is one is uh, let's say call it greed or or uh, enjoyment that is people like you said um, they enjoy the process they enjoy the substance let's say cooking food or ordering food and going to his favorite restaurant and then having quantity and then feeling uh, like that it's not enough and they eat more but another reason, the second reason, is not the food or the ritual. Another reason is denial. When people deal with some pain and they try to avoid dealing with that pain, they invent, they create a problem to deal with it. Because uh, with food, whether it's or, or cigarettes or, or alcohol, kind of you know that demon. And, you know, in the beginning of 20th century, Carl Jung, a great psychiatrist, said uh, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. So uh, alcohol or, or overeating would be that what we would call neurosis. So legitimate suffering would be to face, let's say, a person's relationship with his wife or a woman's relationship with her husband. Uh, but it's too painful or it's too scary. And they, uh, first of all, it's it's pleasing to eat, it's tasty, and they move away from dealing with the problem. But then that problem becomes an issue to deal with, and it delays them dealing with the real issue. What is your experience? I, I find that to be true. I think that it is a complete denial. Um, you know, in our country, the U.S. has made certain parties, has made uh, substance abuse an industry because it gave a lot of folks an opportunity. They've made it a disease and they've made it a disorder. Now it's not called substance abuse anymore. It's now substance abuse disorder, right? So then now it becomes an illness where the truth is, as far as I'm concerned, it's my, my personal opinion. I know it's going to tweak a lot of people out there that... It's not a disorder, it's a self-absorbed behavior. And it's for the sake of instant gratification. And we're not powerless, we are powerful every moment to do exactly the right thing, not to get high, get drunk, eat more, receive more. So it is avoidance. It's because it's the un unwillingness to deal with what is. And they say it in the 12-step world. Is that it's, it's unwillingness to, to face life on life's terms. So uh, I do have an issue 
I don't I don't need to make it bad, but the medical community has accepted now because of there's you know the the rehabilitation system, uh, the rehabs accept insurance, so it has to be a medical disorder in order for them to take insurance in order for you to be able to go and get strict. And look, and our society encourages a concept, psychological concept of victimhood. You are a victim of right. circumstances, you are a victim of other people, you're too short, you're too small, you're white, you're black, you're this, that, and so you are uh, a victim of circumstances, and now you are a victim of this disease. Disorder, you have a dis disease. Yes, yes. You have a disorder. Yeah. So that justifies, so, so now what happens? There is a diagnostic criteria called uh, alcohol abuse. Now, now it, like you said, insurance can kind of cover the treatment. Of course, so then now I can go lay up in a, in a rehab uh, for a month, for 30 days, and get and learn more justifications for why I'm completely self-absorbed. Instead of taking care of my family, I'm running out to get, uh, you know, uh, uh, heroin or cocaine or whatever substances there are out there. I'm running to the corner, and if I'm not running to the corner, well, listen, you have to understand, I'm sick. If I'm sick, then I need medication, and I need to be able to go to four meetings a day to talk about my feelings. Well, that's more justification for uh, the um, more justification for people that are already looking to avoid dealing with things. They're already looking to avoid with the fact that they're in denial about their circumstances. And the truth is, they're unwilling to deal. Look, uh, I agree with everything you said. Yep. I have to say that Alcoholic Anonymous, I, I have an issue, and I will mention it later, uh, what, I, what, I, what issue I have with Alcoholic Anonymous. But nevertheless, we know of all approaches, psychotherapy, prayer, uh, medication, yet Alcoholic Anonymous has been the most successful way for people to stop drinking and stay sober. So I believe in what you're saying, and I agree with you. Um, ultimately, if you look at Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous and all the 12-step world, ultimately they're looking to introduce you to a, a consciously filled reality, that there's a, a greater force, that the, the God of your understanding and so on and so forth also cre creates camaraderie. You can go and hang out with people who know your uh, struggle and they understand you and, and you can whine and cry and complain about your circumstances. My feeling is that even though I know many people that have gotten straight and stayed straight, and off meaning straight meaning off substances. Unfortunately, when in a conscious way, if you look at reality in the way I teach it, re realized understanding, that if you if your words push energy out of your soul and they create reality. In other words, words take form. So if I constantly go to a place and say, hi, I'm this every day. I'm insinuating that I could never be anything else other than that. And that description, that definition comes with criteria that then defines who I am. 
but I'm not defined by these criteria because that limits my possibility of ever being something else other than what I'm saying that I am. Okay. I, I, and it's so great. It's so great that you said it. You remember I said that there is one issue that I have with Alcoholic Anonymous, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what it is. That people become, hi, I'm an alcoholic. So how oh, you're nothing else but an alcoholic. Right. That's that's the main thing that who you are. You're not a mother of four children. You're not a friend. You're not an engineer. You're an alcoholic. I'm defined by my circumstance. This and, happened to me. Yes. And the, the demon is right around the corner. So you're never, never really free. Well, there, there are other. That isn't just the only thing. I don't mean to interrupt, but there, you know, the fact that they say I become powerless over my addiction. I can tell you personally, I don't reveal myself, but personally, I was never powerless. I knew exactly what I was doing. I know a bunch of folks that know exactly when they were doing what they're doing when they go to do and get their drugs and get their alcohol and get their food or whatever it is. They'll they'll say, well. I won't go, I won't stop. I grew up in New York City, you know. So I won't get the donuts if there's no parking spot. But I'll go around 10 times around the block to see if there's a parking spot. So the circumstances are created based on what you're willing to choose for yourself in the moment. If I want a donut, if I want a French curler, and I know I'm not supposed to have it, and I know that the sugar and the donut is unhealthy for me, and I'm gaining weight, and it's causing me to be obese. It's in my control to go to that block where the donuts are. And I can, I can certainly justify any experience and say, listen, there's no parking spot. It's not intended for me. But let me go around one more time around the block to see maybe a parking, <laughs> parking spot appears, and then it will be intended for me. So people do that to themselves. They, they tell themselves stories. The, one of the stories they tell themselves is, conveniently, I have an affliction. I have to believe to some extent, because of personal experience, that it's a, it's a affliction of the soul. It is not a physical affliction. It really is an affliction of the soul. Wow. Glad. I, it, it's wonderful. I mean, it's amazing that you are saying these words because I don't know if you read, I don't think that you read, I don't think, tell me if you did, but Carl Jung, again, that I already quoted, said something else. He said, the absence of meaning in life is a soul sickness that is, that is not yet identified in our century. Absolutely true. So you 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 agree Absolutely with Absolutely yeah. It's a it's an it's a soul affliction. It's not a physical affliction. Of course, the you know uh, our society, because they want to justify, if the approach was from a from a perspective, from a soul perspective, I think the results and the outcomes would be a lot different, because a a, a heroin addict has his acute stages. He's completely oblivious and so high he can't see anything, uh, any light in his life or her life. But once they're out of the acute stages, they need to be pushed to their limits and not sit around going to eight meetings a day. Because their complacency and their lack of desire and their emptiness comes as a result of lack of drive, a lack of um, 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, situation because if you look at addicts and junkies that are substance abusers, they have enormous drive. I, I'll take that back. Some of them will are okay with standing on the corner. When people come to me, I ask them if they want treatment for substance abuse, I ask them, how did you get your money to get your substance? And they say, why? I say, well, I want to know how you got your money. So my, my, the reason is, if they went around doing whatever it takes to get their money, they'll get straight and stay straight. If they stood at a traffic light around the corner waiting for a quarter, around someone else giving them something and not going out there to get it. Those, the ones that stood out there panhandling are less likely to get straight and stay straight mm -hmm. because they don't have to drive to go get it. The ones that went out to get it, meaning they have the drive, once you redirect their energy and inspire them to see their own strength and push them to their limits so they can see how strong they are, they'll stay straight. And the ones that are indifferent and detached and removed and, and, and complacent, it's hard to get them straight. There is a way, but it's harder to get them straight. So first, would you share, I, I have my, not the 12 steps of Anonymous, but I also have 12 steps and, and maybe time I will kind of quickly read them and if people are interested they can they can uh, send me uh, an email and I will gladly send it to them but first would you share when you say redirect energy how do you help them to redirect their energy as long as they're willing if they're tired of, of being high or drunk, I introduce them to having God in their lives in a proactive way. So what does it mean proactive way? I, I engage them in understanding how really powerful they are, how they've co-created any environment they've ever wanted, how they've created any circumstance they've ever wanted. Really, literally, that their lives are, uh, are an expression of their intention and their power. And then I push them physically to their limits where they can, honestly, the issue with addicts, they have no will. They can't overcome their issue. So I introduce them to their will. How do, when you say physically, what, you ask them to run? Run, exercise, I, I train them to until to, they can't stand up anymore. I make them do yoga because they can't, they, they don't realize how much strength they really have. That's the issue. The passive approach doesn't work. In kickboxing, you try kick kickboxing, yoga, running, well, you know, you've been to, you did a retreat, so you know, uh, you know, running is, 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 a, is a way to push people beyond their comfort level. They They get comfortable. I'm powerless because 12 steps teach them that they're powerless over their addiction. So their lives became unmanageable. Well, when the truth is that most of them are extraordinary manifestors, they can manifest anything. They can, they have an, an, an ability, an enormous drive. Imagine going through whatever it takes to get what they want. They do whatever it takes. With heavy drugs. What if, let's move a little bit to, uh, alcohol uh, which which is very easy to get and you can get very cheap alcohol to get drunk and food food 
it's the same concept, you know, uh, food is nourishment, right? But in their case, it acts as a filler. So they're filling an empty space and into their insatiable appetite. So these folks are usually really extraordinary because they have so much space to receive. They're just filling themselves with the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> understand? So, so I redirect their understanding that really that, that emotional emptiness, that lack of God causes them to want to stuff themselves in more and more and stimulus. They think it's, it's nurturing and where in fact it's not. It's the, the, it's the void. They're trying to fill a void that's insatiable. I, you know, I, I work with somebody. Maine, and you pray for her, uh, who, who is, who was, now she's no longer, but over 500 pounds, and she's a very religious person. For her, it's not that she doesn't have God. It's, it's, it was a way to survive. Okay, let's have a little talk about this person, maybe a little further. For her, it was a way to survive abusive behavior of her, her father. Now, intellectually, she understands. And in fact, she learned with me to stand her own ground, to be respectful, and to look him as a really an emotional invalid who cannot feel the joy of having children. He has to abuse them. And nevertheless, the impulse is still there. It's so habitual. And the, the, that void, Whatever void she's feeling, and the stretched stomach requires to her to eat more. So where would you take her from here? Look, if you if you if I mean, you can replay that record forever and say our parents caused our circumstances, and this is why I'm the way I am. She has a choice. Right? She has a choice. Uh, some people decide they want to be, they want to exercise and become completely fit. Why would she choose obesity? Why would she choose to abuse herself? Weight. No, 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 no. Now she, the weight is armor. Yes. The weight is armor. Now, but what I'm saying, uh, I'm, I'm saying that now she doesn't need to protect herself. She doesn't need that armor. She is able to speak up talking to her father. Uh, she actually view, literally views him as a, as a wounded person, not this huge monster from which she, who she uh, needs to hide. Now, I would say it's just habitual behavior. And also, her, her stomach is stretched. She requires more food. My question to you is, is there anything else that, that I could introduce? So she's very religious. She's very. I have to tell you something that you know. I love. I, I love that you say. Is there anything else to supplement? But my approach is completely different. You know, if someone comes that way and they say that, first of all, I found that religious people are the, the people that least understand godliness. They know the information. They don't understand what it's for at all. So they live their lives devoid of God. They don't know how to resolve emotions. And the only way we can receive the flow of energy from 
from the creator is if we embrace the fact that our belief is creating our experience, meaning if we don't resolve our emotions, there's no room for that God energy to flow to sustain our souls, which means if she grew sideways, right, which means there's no flow in her cells that is receiving energy, it means she shut herself off emotionally in order to be able to deal with life So because her father was too abusive. When you shut yourself off emotionally, you stop receiving and you grow sideways. So the cells atrophy as a result of no flow of energy. She lacked herself in herself. You could say that. When a person doesn't realize, you know, uh, in reality, uh, you introduced me to this understanding a long time ago. I thought, I didn't understand it, but I thought, Wow, what a concept. It's a completely realized concept. That what does this tell you about you? Well, that's a realized process. So it's not by chance her father is in her life. Her soul entered the human experience to go through this experience, not to set the record straight and tell her father, look at her father as a as a wounded person, but to really see her own experience and understand re religiosity is not consciousness. The way they're taught religious concepts, it doesn't allow them to receive. They just know a bunch of understanding. So, but okay, you have an idea of how religion is taught. Let's imagine that now you have a class of people. Yeah. And imagine this this client of mine also sitting in a class. In fact, yeah. she will be listening to this talk. So think of you addressing her now, and what. How, please guide her and others who who are religious, who believe in God, what they need practically to do to move away from uh, a concept of God somewhere to connecting with 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 themselves as creators. So I can take uh, I'm not I can take credit for this term, but. There's only, there's only pain where there's no God. Meaning, the body's cells, fat cells accumulate as a result of no flow. If we don't accept the fact that we enter the human experience as a soul and, the, and our circumstances are intended for us to refine us, so if my father hit me, that doesn't mean he's bad or he's wounded. He might have been wounded, but he makes a choice to smack me around or not to, right? And I make a choice of what I make that mean. What meaning I give to that, you understand? I can, it can make me stronger, resilient, and I can refine myself and decide. My father doesn't have parenting skills. He taught me a lot more than just hit me. He taught me endurance. He taught me never to give up. He taught me how to sustain my family. He never gave up. He never complained about anything. So I can see the value in what happened between us, or I can continuously, uh, um, I can continue to suffer as a result of what happened and how he chose to parent me. And if I see the value in everything, then every that I become present. And I'm not constantly replaying the past in my mind's eye of, of how bad my childhood was and dragging the past into the future 
and reenacting the same obstacles for myself. So then our obstacle becomes her weight and the fact that her daddy did this to her and she replays the same record over and over her. And then all her experience and her circumstances embody her experience with her father because that's the decision-making um, chip, so to speak. Let me see if I understood. Well, um, let me think as I think you would like for the thing. And that's it. Uh, the fact that he was abusive is just a reflection of my belief as I arrived into this world. That An reflection of my beliefs, I am a victim. Right. So he confirmed, he was genetic, uh, he provided, he and my mother provided genetic material for me to experience that part of myself. But oh. my mother and my father had the, the beautiful parts to them. And what I want to do is to acknowledge that I need to liberate myself from this inner lens of seeing reality as a victim. And I need to emphasize and celebrate qualities in, in me, qualities that I see that are beautiful in my parents. Is that? Right, because your perception creates your reality. So if I, if I came into the world talented, and, but I'm a constant victim. I could never get anywhere. I can't get ahead because uh, my stage unfolds constantly and I'm always the victim. Look, circumstances made me uh, divert from my intention of being a singer. Circumstances made me, uh, immigration made me this. And then so then, then always the surrounding circumstances are responsible for where I am. No, that's not the fact. That's not the truth. We are responsible for where we are. We make our choices. So if I make a choice, to, to become aggressive and indifferent and uh, a substance abuser as a result of what I went through, then I'm constantly replaying and blaming my father because he was bad and he didn't have parenting skills. He didn't have any kind of skills. All he knew is how to provide. Her father isn't bad. I'm sure there's a million different qualities that are, that are great about her father. But she chose to fixate on the fact that he was abusive. She didn't because it was reflecting her own beliefs about reality. No, you know why I'm so a stickler for that word? Because a mirror is, is removed. Expression is, is, is what happens, really. Because the creative force expressed itself into the human experience, and we are its expression. So then our lives are our expression. Oh, uh, okay. So you are saying, if, when I use the term mirror, it's like a a passive reflection. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Instead, you suggest the term expression, expression. process yeah. every second of our life. Absolutely. It's constantly forming itself for us. Through our thoughts. Our belief, not thoughts. Well, but, we, we come with a belief system, right? right? So a child enters the world uh, uh, and he drowned in a past experience. He drowned because he didn't have a path which sustained him, so he drowned in his emotions and, and, and came into the human experience with no direction and into a family that doesn't have an emotional or spiritual path. He re-enters the human experience and now is forced to find his own path. I've had these cases before. 
I, I treated people. I treated a little kid who was, um, she was, um, she was six years old and had asthma attacks over and over again. And the parents asked me to treat her, and I saw the soul's experience of drowning. So when I treated her, the father came to the phone. It was over speaker when we had no Skype and none of that. The father came over and, uh, when I told him that I saw an experience of a soul in the past life drowning, that it brought it into this life and chose uh, uh, parents who were both potheads, you know, live this kind of kumbaya, hippie life. One's an actor, one's a doula. The father walked over the phone and said, lad, you know that she listens to a CD all day long called Little Ducky. It's an instructional CD on how not to drown. Wow. So after I treat her, meaning after I gave the soul energy to, to dissolve the darkness of the soul that is caused by a lack of a spiritual system and a lack of emotional resolve, it now doesn't need the crutch. The same with food and substances. You follow what I'm saying? So that little girl can blame the parents. They smoke weed all day long. They took my hair. They don't have any emotional tools. The pair, my parents are bad because they were substance abusers. No. You have a choice. You can see the value in the parents. Because your perception affects your reality. So if I choose to see the value in my father, and not, I'm not justifying his behavior. Yes, he was aggressive and, and, and mean. But I don't have any tools for my kids. And I make a choice. Nobody taught me how to parent. They didn't come with a manual on how to do, how to talk to them. I make deductions. So I make a choice not to be a substance abuser because my daddy smacked me in the back of the head. <laughs> how does that, where does that, where does that have to do with anything? Well, if you want to live in denial, that, that will numb the pain. It yeah. works. The reason drugs, without any big advertisement, they work because they numb a person's from pain. So you have to learn to welcome pain as a teacher. That's ultimately our subject. I think that's the subject we're talking about. Yes. To say pain. Everyone, you always said to me, there's no undisturbed state in the human experience, right? There isn't. There's no place you can, you can go on top of a mountain. There's still obstacles. You can go to... Uh, uh, Tibet and go meditate. It's cold as hell. There's critters. There's all kinds of unwelcome. It's it's horrible. So there's no place you can go to avoid emotional ups and downs. That's what people are looking for ultimately with food, uh, with substances, with alcohol, with drugs. It's avoidance. It's avoidance of accepting the fact that you know I can take my power back. I don't have to be fat. I don't, my life doesn't have to be defined by what happened to me 20 years ago. I don't have to be a substance abuser. My father did what he did because he didn't have any tools. And I came into this family not by chance. That's if you accept that you have a soul and that you have a soul experience going through a human experience. I accept neither one of my parents had tools. They're both overachievers. They're both hardworking people. They never give up. They're super smart. They made a life for themselves and they didn't have time for me. So I made time for myself and I made deductions and I forced myself 
through whatever obstacles I had, to not to blame them or to point the finger and insinuate that my life circumstances revolve around their behavior. I see the value in both. Oh, so number one is taking the responsibility. Amen. You know, remember you and I, I think you and I had a whole talk about blame versus yes. responsibility, right? So with the remaining time, and we have somewhere like 15 minutes, I would like to share with you, I don't think I ever did, these 12 steps that I have. And, and each step requires a lot of time, a lot of discussion, but I will just, uh, um, just name them. And once I name them, you will have probably something to say, and I would love you to stop me and chip in. Uh, and comment on any of them. So the first step is just acknowledging that you became dependent or you are dependent on substance or that the substance is playing in your life greater role than you wish. So this is number one. That's the number one step in the, in the 12 step role. Yeah. Okay. Good. So no, no, admitting, admitting to yourself or to another that you have a right. So many, probably some of them do, do, do correspond with the other ones. The second one is you have to decide that you want to make a change. But one thing is to acknowledge, and the, the second is you make a decision. We'll get later to how you make it happen. But first you have to decide, I choose I am responsible and I choose to lose weight. I choose to change my relationship with food. I choose to not drink or to drink a, a glass of wine and so on. You have to make clear what you want to accomplish. Number three, you start your day every morning by connecting with higher power, asking higher power to be uh, your partner in reaffirming your commitment to stay sober. But probably it, it has some, Well, some. I kind of have an issue. I yeah. kind of have an issue with that because you're asking, you're asking people who are uh, abusers and don't have, are doing it because they don't have a God in their life or an understanding that there's a greater divine force. You're asking them to believe something that they can't see. You know what I mean? So my way is, is I'm not asking them to believe something they can't see. I'm asking for them to understand what I'm saying, that the, the void is the fact that there is a greater divine force and that the fact that they have that force in them and it's not being satiated. So if I can show them how to satiate or or, or fuel that part of them that's like God, they could see a result in their circumstances. Uh, oh, Vlad, now, now you're saying that that's where your, whatever we want to call it, power or tool that is God-given comes in. It's, uh, and I don't have it. I don't have the ability to show them. I can speak, but I don't have this energetic, whatever you show them, that you show. Is that right? So uh, it, it's it's true what you're saying, but in my explanations, I engage them in seeing where that internal power has played a significant role in their lives. So really, 
my understanding and engaging them in understanding what I'm trying to come across with really helps them understand that they are just like it. They're not God, but they have that ability because they've done it all along. So is it just some talking? Well, a lot of my sessions, you know, the treatment process is only 18 minutes. The rest is explanation of concept. Uh, no, 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 no. Yes, you do explanation, but I experienced your treatment. Right. It's like a little shock to the body and the person feels so suddenly different. Right, it's true. I don't have that. I do not have that to, to demonstrate to a person. Look, you were in one place energetically and suddenly you feel different. Actually, yes, I can by teaching the mental imagery exercise. Right. Because imagery has everything to do with it. Everything. Everything. So let me let me make a note here and I will think about this third step because it needs to be expanded a little bit. Right. I think at this moment I need to do something which which demonstrate their ability to move their own energy. Good. Fourth step, realize why you want to do it. You have to have understanding in order to to stick to your commitment, you have to know why you are making this investment. N number five. Oh, no, 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 no. Number four is realize why you are doing it. And that's like answer the questions that you talked about. Robert. And the number five is why you want to stop. Number six, decide to deal with life honestly without hiding behind the smoke screen, which means like stop the denial and we already covered it. Number seven, write all this down with the vision of what your life would be like if you were to succeed. Uh, the number four, stop programming your mind for success. That's a whole process I have. Uh, I will not talk about it, but it's 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 really a process. Uh, I, I I think I even have uh, on my YouTube two no no three oh right you can go on YouTube uh, Dr. Peter Resnick and I have three videos programming your mind for success. So, okay, number nine, do all you can do to support your body. That is, if you're stopping drinking alcohol or stopping using drugs, you have to see a very good nutritionist that will help you to with supplements to support your system, possibly if you do acupuncture or let, let's say certain vitamins like, like, like vitamin C, for example, large doses and again, depending on your body type, your weight, uh, you need more or less of vitamin C, but I'm talking about thousands of milligrams, not 500 milligrams pill, but I'm talking about three, 4,000. But you have to know, you have to talk to a nutritionist because otherwise, if you take it incorrectly, you will just get diarrhea and you spend a lot of money on vitamins. Number 10, burn the bridges, make it, it, making it impossible to go back. What does it mean? To me, it's, for example, uh, if I say something to my children, 
this is it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> there is no way I can go then do it. First, I will not hide, I will not lie to them if I do it. But I cannot show my children that if I promise that I will not do it. So for me, this is burning the bridges. For somebody else is calling the supplier and saying, please do not, even if... <laughs> That's no, funny. Will not... <laughs> That's funny. It will not work, but... Of course not. No. So you have to find a way to burn bridges, which means you you tell people that didn't know to help you, to watch you. Burn bridges is making finding every possible way not to not to go. It's it's again insinuating that something else is responsible. This this government has a ridiculous notion that they constantly they're constantly announcing the war on drugs, which is a complete waste of time. Drugs exist, drug dealers exist, bad people exist, alcohol exists. In fact, they now made it even more possible to be high. Weed is legalized. Alcohol is legal. You can buy a two bottle of wine, two dollar bottle of wine and be high. So the point is so that you can see it's we who need to start filling ourselves and not worrying about what the drug dealers or the alcohol sellers or, or, or the people that we are insinuating are causing our condition. It's we who have to deal with the emptiness in ourselves so that we don't desire the escape or desire to avoid. So you, you don't like my idea of burning bridges and, and eliciting, making anything possible for you not It depends on what it's for, Peter, you know, it depends on what it's for. You know, if you're burning bridges and you're addicted to relationships, you find, you find a way. <laughs> drug, drug addicts and alcohol, alcohol, people who abuse alcohol and food, they find a way. You find a way to justify. You find a way. You, I, you could destroy all the names in your telephone of your exes or, or your contacts that, we, that you got drugs through. You find new ones. Once you get the power, you understand. You know, people that are addicts and they're, they, they've been conditioned to be powerless. Let's say they go through a rehab or a detox. They're now learned the system that makes them powerless. But if you make them powerful, and they realize that they have power to overcome their issue. Well, if they have power and you, and you can show them how that power works, not just by me, I have an exclusive to energy. No, you can show them. You can show them when their ner nervous system is calm, if they do yoga, you can show them when they train. I trained a, 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 a junkie to kickbox and she realized she was 13 years eating pills. She was emaciated. I taught her how to kickbox and she realized how much power she, she can fight back. She found the fight in her. Yes. Yeah, you can demonstrate. I just before the show I had a I worked with a cancer patient and a skin cancer. And she's getting an alternative treatment where they put a certain paste and, and the tumor actually dissolves, but it's it's an incredible pain. She's in constant pain. And I did give, gave her the exercise. I don't know if you know the crystal exercise. And suddenly, cocaine, which was eight, became five. And it's after two-minute uh, two exercise, and uh, it stayed 
for the rest of our hour. And so I suggested do this exercise every half an hour. So well, Lydia Shock showing her how powerful her mind is. Yeah, she's she's powerful now. She has she has uh, a quick fix that doesn't engage her in, in taking popping pain pills. Okay, so. So this was the, the next step 11 was to do mental exercises to produce changes within. And the 12th step, and we'll have to finish up now. The 12th step is, uh, you probably won't like it. <laughs> the 12th step is find the support system. Connect with someone who is not on your side, but on the side of truth, meaning Somebody who will tell you as it is, honestly. Right. That's, I think that's very important. It's very important. Because if, you, if you're your own sounding board, you're in big trouble. So, okay, we do agree. Because I, you, I thought you would say, ah, it's delegating responsibility for your no, life. This is, this is why, um, this is the one way that meetings in the 12-step world, regardless of whether you're a gambler or an addict, this is why they work. Because other addicts will not let you get away with anything. <laughs> right. You can't go in there and talk nonsense because you'll have 20 people on top of you saying, what are you, what are you talking about? The, the needle jumped in your arm. You went to the casino because you couldn't help it while you're hypnotized. What are you saying? <laughs> it's nonsense. They, they punch holes. So it's impossible to get away with. Somebody's going to correct you. So having a correct sounding board, which you served, you served as a sounding board to me. So I always had a, a, a at least a, a real, not maybe not a view that I can relate to, but at least a realistic view. This is real and this is a fantasy. But thank you so, so much. I, I love doing these talks with you. And let's do more of them. Yeah, we will. Thank you again, Vlad. Thank and you for having me. Gentlemen, I, next week I will have a, a guest who I'm happy to say has become my friend. I interviewed also Kim on this show. His name is Robert, Dr. Robert Yoko, the author of the book Butchered by Healthcare. But this time he, he became quite an activist um, in the last two years during this COVID to unmasking what what is behind the whole, what he calls COVID affair or COVID operation. And also he will talk about what's going on with globalization and politics of today. So I am grateful that you participated in this talk and I'm looking forward to your feedback. If you can send me an email, I would be happy to respond. Uh, if you have questions, please, um, feel free to write as long as it's not a couple of pages email because that would take me a long time. Um, and I'm looking forward to having your attention next week. Thank you very much for your attention. Be happy and peace to all who want to live in peace.